Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to tell you a secret. I don't want you to tell my grandkids. I'm working on a little project for them. They, uh, they got some new bikes. You know, I don't know how all that evolved, but they had some old bikes they were going to get rid of. And, and Raul said, hey, how about if we put them over to the house? And when the kids come over to visit, then they can ride around. And I said, great, sir, that's fine. So we got these bikes over there. And I got to look at them. I thought, you know, bikes are looking a little rough. And, uh, you know, seats kind of chewed up. And the handlebar grips are kind of chewed up. And so I went to Fred Meyer. And they had buy one, get one half off on bike parts. And uh, got some stuff to spiff them up a little bit. Got them each a noisemaker so we can tell where they're at. Look, Malachi, I got a bell. Ah. And of course, the real reason I'm fixing them all up is like I, I want to be there when they see them and go, oh, look at that. <laughs> Get a little grandpa credit. Anything you don't maintain gets a little bit worn around the edges. And from time to time, it needs a little spiffing up. And I think God is going to spiff up our prayer life today. He's going to help us understand what prayer is and what it ought to be. And we're going to start by reading the passage of Scripture together that contains the Lord's Supper. So let's stand and read this passage together. Just remember to pause briefly at each punctuation mark, whether, whether it's a comma or period or whatever, and we'll stay all together that way. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's sit together, please. And 
open our Bibles and consider this, this most important, well-known passage of Scripture and let God teach us about our prayer life. The first thing that we need to see here about our prayer life is kind of a review from two weeks ago. We considered the broad message in this passage, which is, do not do righteous deeds so people will see you. Do righteous deeds to please God, to honor God. And so the first thing that we need to note about prayer is simply this from verses 5 through 6. Prayer must be God-focused. The question here is this, who is your audience in prayer? Who is your audience in prayer? Now, obviously, there's, there's two aspects to this prayer, uh, maybe even three if we think about it. There is the prayer when we're by ourselves and nobody's around. And then there is prayer in a setting like this, in a church setting, maybe some other public gathering. And then maybe, maybe a third category is with a husband or wife or with the family at the table. The two categories here are public and private. The question stands, who is your audience in prayer? There are two potential answers. Either your audience is the listeners or your audience is God. Either you are praying because of what other people, what you think they are thinking, or you're praying because you're talking to God. Now, Jesus was not telling us that public prayer is wrong. He wasn't saying, now, when you come to church, do not pray as a group. Quite the contrary. Jesus prayed in public. The apostles prayed in public. In fact, in the book of 2 Timothy, and we'll look at it later, he says, now, the church ought to be a place of prayer. So there's, there's nothing wrong and everything right with public prayer. But what he's telling us here, look at verses 5 and 6. He said, what is your intent? What is your intent? Who are you thinking about? The hypocrites, those who were religious but not truly spiritual or righteous, they like to pray out in the open so that they will be seen by men. That's the key point. It's not praying out in the open or praying in public. It's so that they will be seen, or even more so, so that they will be heard. So people will hear the words and say, oh, something is great about you. I love, I love these quotes that I'm going I'm to share three quotes with you that I think really summarize up this point. This first one may be one of the best. The heart is the closet in the King James, it uses the word closet. Go into your closet when you pray. This author puts it this way. The heart is the closet into which we should retire and shut the door, even in public prayer. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, okay, uh, Pastor Dave just called on me to pray in front of the whole church. He said, go into your heart, close the door where there is just you and God, and talk to God. Kent Hughes put it this way, Jesus was emphasizing that prayer is intrinsically private, not exhibitionist. 
Man is to shut out every distraction and focus on God. In other words, real prayer is just that. It's you and God. It's always just you and God. True prayer, according to John MacArthur, true prayer is always intimate. Even prayer in public. If the heart is right and concentrated on God, it will, in a real and profound way, shut one up alone in the presence of God. Even if the whole world hears what we say, there is an intimacy and a focus on God in that communion that is unaffected. I was in a music group of 16 guys uh, my second year in college. And uh, there was one guy there who I thought was a hick from the sticks. Nice guy. But definitely... uh, in my opinion, kind of a quiet guy, didn't enter into our loud, obnoxious behavior that much. But the first time we stood in a circle, before we sang, went to do a concert somewhere, we're all going to pray. And I wasn't going to pray, because I wasn't living for the Lord yet. I'm in a Christian college, in a Christian singing group, about to do a Christian concert, and I wasn't ready to pray in public. And so we bow our heads, and uh, this brother starts praying. And my opinion of him went 180 degrees, because I could tell he had prayed a lot. And it wasn't because he used fancy words. I could tell he knew who he was talking to. I knew he was a man of God. Something that was not true of me at the time. God's standard for praying is truth spoken sincerely. That's it. That's it. Nothing fancy. No these, no thous. No uh, alliterated outlines. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with if, you're, if you're accustomed to speaking a certain way in prayer, there's nothing wrong with that. But the question you need to ask is, are you speaking the truth sincerely? God's word, and we'll look at this a little more in a minute, but God's word contains the truth that we need to pray. And our devotion to God, our commitment to God, our faith in God provides the sincerity Whether our prayer sounds good to those listening doesn't matter. If your lack of eloquence matters to those who are listening, then their heart isn't right with God. What matters in prayer, whether private or public, is whom are you focused on? Last week I was asked to pray at two different public gatherings of believers, um, neither which I expected. I could have answered like a pastor from a liberal church did one time. Some friends of ours were at a gathering and they said, would you pray? And he said, I don't have my prayer book. What? But I got up and prayed. Now I took into consideration the situation I was in. Two different kinds of events, two different groups of people, two different things. 
to be prayed about. And so, yes, we consider what's going on when we pray in public, whether it's with one person or a hundred or whatever. But I prayed to God what I thought he would want me to pray about these groups of people. This Thursday, we're going to have a day of prayer. And uh, there is a, a plan that has been developed for walking through the church. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but there's been a thing that's been popular in recent years called prayer walks. Generally, you, people walk around town and they pray for whatever they see as they walk around town, whether it's the, the school or the city building or, or whatever. We're going to have a prayer walk through the church so that you can consider what goes on in different rooms and pray about that. And there will be things in different rooms, prayer requests, pictures of the city, different things, so that you can pray for those things. And I just want to encourage you to come and pray. Don't stay away because it involves public prayer. In fact, if, if you're still just too scared to pray after, after this incredible sermon that you're going to hear, I, I, I would say to you what my father used to say to me when he pastored a couple of little churches and I would come home from college and he'd say, will you come and sing for us? And I'd say, oh, you know, I got it. And he'd say, just pray about it. <laughs> Which is, talk to God and see what he says. So I would say, just pray about the day of prayer. Okay, so just come. And, and, and if you're still too scared, that's come. Just come and pray and listen to other people pray and pray along with them. But don't miss a blessing because you can't string words together in a way that's as fancy as you think it should be. I, I would rather hear somebody pray in a way that I can tell is sincere than to hear fancy words all day long. And I think that's what God wants. He said, look, don't pay attention to other people when you pray. Go into your private place. Pray to God. Just talk to God. God's standard is truth spoken sincerely. Prayer must be God-focused. It also must be God-comprehending. Comprehension. Do you understand who God is? The question I would ask here is this, what do you believe causes God to answer prayer? What do you believe causes God to answer prayer? Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition or empty words as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. God doesn't reward our quantity of prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying we shouldn't pray at length. Um, I've had some prayer requests written in my prayer notebook for months, before, and I've prayed over them, maybe some of those every day, some of those every week before God answers. I'm not saying that it's wrong to repeat. Christ isn't saying it's wrong to repeat. But what he is saying is, don't have a, 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 a mental concept that if I just say this a lot of times, God will be obligated or uh, somehow uh, this will earn his favor and then I know he'll do this. 
The word uh, that's translated heathen here, uh, vain repetitions as the heathen do, that is the word that's most often translated Gentile, and it's most often a synonym for an unbeliever. So what he's saying is, there is a way that unbelievers think about prayer. And, and he says, what they think is, if they just say it enough, God will, God will answer. And he says, that is not the case. In fact, the word that he used, um, New King James translates it, vain repetition. Um, it, it literally, it, it's an onomatopoetic word. It's a word that sounds like what it is. And it sounds like somebody going, kind of babbling is, is a good translation. Here's the deal. That kind of prayer sounds like babbling to God. In other words, God's saying, what, do you just think you're just going to talk and you're going you're to out-talk me on this thing? There's an example of this in 1 uh, Kings. So they took the bull. These are the uh, prophets of Baal, the, the false prophets, you know, the, the unbelievers who are opposing God and God's people. They took the bull which was given to them, they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. They leaped about the altar which they made. And so it was at noon that Elijah, the prophet of God, mocked them. And he said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And of course that's because Baal is not a god. But even if he had been a god, they thought that if they just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, just say a lot of words, then he is going to answer. And, and, and God says, no, 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 no. Don't think that. This, this basic concept comes out in, in some other religions, like uh, the Buddhist. Uh, this little thing right here um, is a prayer wheel. And they spin it, and the little thing spins around, and they believe that every time they do that, it's a prayer, 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 prayer. And so if they do enough of them, they're going to get their request. Isn't it interesting, in the time of Christ they were doing it, they're still doing it. The Catholic Church has a practice which is, if you light a candle, as long as that candle burns, the prayer is going, 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 and, and surely it'll, there'll be enough prayer eventually, with all those candles lit, and God will answer that prayer. Okay. God says, I'm not going to reward the quantity of words he also says, I don't respond to prayer as a magic formula. You know, magic formula is when you say the words just right and then poof, something's going to happen. And a lot of people treat the Lord's Prayer that way. Um, my son played football in a public high school, and I helped with the... Uh, medical needs on the team uh, as a way to be there with the team and with him. So I was there at every game for four years. And uh, I was there on game nights. And the first time I was there, you know, it, I, I didn't play football. So I don't know the rituals. And, and if you haven't played football, um, 
There's a lot of ritual. You know, we do this, then we do this, then we do this, then we do this. And, and uh, there's a pattern that goes on the game nights. And, and you've got to do all of these things. Well, they did all kinds of preparation. And then, at one point, the coach, who was not a Christian, uh, he was a very nice man, uh, a good coach. team didn't win a lot, but he was a nice man. And he said, take a knee. And they all got down on one knee. All the guys that had been there the year before all knew, of course, and the freshmen learned, okay, take a knee. So they get down on one knee, and they said the Lord's Prayer. You know, it couldn't hurt. Knock on wood. And touch the poster of the mascot above the door on your way out to the field. It's magic. Special. Jesus said, this is the prayer to pray, so you better be saying it. What Jesus said in verse 9 is, pray in this way. He didn't say, repeat these words. Now, it's not wrong to repeat the words. It's not wrong to have it in a church service, stand up and read it together. It's not wrong at all. But it's wrong if you think it's a magic formula. It's wrong if you think you will be heard for your many words, like the heathen. God doesn't answer prayer just because we say the words. My dad told me that as a boy, he heard this phrase often in prayer. People would bow for prayer, and the prayer would be, you know, Heavenly Father, maybe a couple of things, and then we pray for all that duty binds us. What? Well, we're supposed to be praying for a lot of things, and so with that one phrase, we've done the deed. We pray for all that duty binds us. Really? That's it? That's all you have to say. (laughs) Could I step on your toes just a little bit? And maybe even my own? Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. Amen. I did the prayer. I'm good to go. I won't get indigestion or food poisoning. John MacArthur said this, There's nothing wrong with repeated prayer. Jesus himself taught about prayer with with the illustration of a widow who persisted in asking for help from the judge. And Jesus said, persistence is a virtue in prayer. And it may involve repetition. However, we don't rely on the quantity of words, but on the belief in God and in his timing. It is not honest, properly motivated repetition of needs or praise that is wrong, but the mindless, indifferent recital of spiritual-sounding incantations. Not only must our hearts be right before God will hear our prayer, but also our minds. Thoughtless prayer is almost as offensive to God as heartless prayer. And in most instances, they go together. Prayer must be God-comprehending. I am talking to the God of the universe, 
and I need to have a conversation with him from my heart. Number three, prayer must be God-connected. Now look at verse 9, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus told them, here is how you should pray, our Father. You know, this was really revolutionary. We don't, we don't really get this. We don't comprehend how revolutionary it was. But if you go back in the Old Testament, there was no praying our Father. They were the servants of God. They were the people of God, but they were not the children of God. Now, there's a sense in which Jesus is, is, is sort of prophesying here because in truth, nobody was a child of God until Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected from the grave. Because once that happened, then it's possible for sin to be removed, righteousness to be implanted, and for God to adopt us into his family. It was at that point that people started being the children of God and had the right, as Romans 8 says, to call him, this, call him our Father, but here he, he prophesies, and he says, here's the pattern for prayer. You need to talk to God as to your father. And the word for father here is not just the word that emphasizes paternity. It's not just the word that says, you, we are linked because spiritually you have given birth to me. This is the word that would be translated daddy. It's the word that Jesus said on the cross when he said, Abba, Father, why have you... Listen to the great words, these great words about our relationship to God. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to buy back from the law those who were under it, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then of heir of God through Christ. How does this connection become a reality? How do we become adopted into God's family? John 1.12 tells us, As many as received him, as many as believed in Christ and received him as Savior, to them God gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. When we believe in Christ as our Savior, our sin is removed, and we're adopted into the family of God, and he becomes our daddy. Now maybe your earthly father wasn't that great of a guy. Maybe he wasn't the kind of guy you would confidently walk up to and say, I need some help. And you didn't have confidence that he would respond in a, in a good and godly way. Let me just say this today. Don't let your image of your heavenly father be colored by the image of your earthly father. Listen to these words about the heavenly father. Which one of you, if his son asks, asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a snake? He's talking about earthly fathers and saying, you know, if you're a decent father, you, you don't give a stone in place of bread. If you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, this is not a promise that God will give you everything you ask for, but it is a promise that God loves you 
and you're his child, and he is going to do what is best for you. He's going to hear your prayer and answer. Because you're his child. I had a friend a few years ago who needed a golf partner, and he was so desperate, he asked me to go play golf with him. That's pretty desperate, right, Chuck? <laughs> yeah, Chuck's played. We've played golf. I mean, he plays golf, and I walk along and hit the ball. Um, and he, he, wanted, he wanted me to play golf, and he helped me get some clubs. I mean, I didn't have my own clubs in, you know. And, it, and so I said, okay, okay. I mean, I, I'll go and play golf with you as a, as a way to connect with this fellow. And uh, this was a, sh- a short course. It was a nine-hole course and not too long. And, and uh, so we get up there, and I, I, I put the ball in that first tee, and uh, glory to God, I, I hit the ball, and it went skew right there. I think it was like 130, 140 yards. Dropped it right close to the cup, right off on the first shot. And he said, that's not fair. You're getting help. <laughs> well, I have no doubt that was true. No doubt whatsoever. <laughs> Not that well. <laughs> Many times in, in, in my ministerial life, people have said to me, would you say a prayer, you know, because you're connected. Well, the truth is, compared to an unbeliever, I am connected and they are not. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ, you're right, you're not connected. And you know that something does not happen when you pray because you pray and you think, it ain't happening. The reason for that is you need to get connected. The great news is you can be connected. God wants to be connected to you. And if you want your prayer to make it past the ceiling, you've got to be connected. And that comes when you believe in Christ as your Savior, and God makes you new, and He makes you His child. And then you can say, Oh, Father in heaven... Prayer has got to be God-connected. And then it's also got to be God-exalting. Look at verse 9. In this manner pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word hallowed is the same word that's most often translated holy. And, and it means to be special, to be unique in a good kind of way. And it's talking about the name of God. And, and so names to the people in the day of Christ and, and, and going back even farther, names were not just a handle. My name is Dave, you know, and, and uh, that's Raul and Stephanie and so on. And, and, and we think of them just as handles. That's just who you are. That's just uh, how I call you. Instead of saying, hey, you, I call you by your name. In, in, in this day, a name was much more than that. Uh, and certainly to some people in some circumstances today, it's much more than that now. But, but when, he, when he talks about the name of God, he says, your name. And it, it represented who God was and all that he was. And, and, and so it's, it's, saying, it's, it's, it's equivalent to saying, you, you are special. And I am, I am putting you in a, in a special place. I see you in that place. I think of you in that way, and I pray to you in that way. 
from the Ten Commandments, we read this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not use God's name in some way other than talking to him, talking about him, praying to him. And if we understand who God is, then verse 10 becomes our prayer. Your kingdom come. We have this little saying when we want to insult somebody or, or sort of balance the scales. We say, who made you God? And what we mean by that is, are you in charge here? Of course, we're inferring, no, they're not in charge. But that little saying also tells us there is a person who is in charge. He is God. And he has the right to say what goes on. It is his kingdom that we should be praying for and exalting. He, he is what prayer is about. The goal of prayer needs to be the exaltation of God, not the meeting of my needs. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. If we pull that back and we say, okay, then why does God answer the prayer to meet our needs? Here's why, from Jesus himself. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Did it ever occur to you that God answers your prayers and meets your needs for his glory, not just to help you out? I think that's one of the things that we miss sometimes when God doesn't give us what we ask for. We, we feel the freedom to get upset as though, come on, God, I prayed, why didn't you do this? When all along we've missed the point, the point is I'm going to pray for God to help so that he will be seen and honored. And when he does something, I'm going to say, thank you, and I'm going to let people know God did this thing. I will answer, Jesus says, so that the Father may be glorified. Through prayer, God meets my needs, so I will honor him as the caregiver, and so people will hear about him. Oswald Chambers put this very well. Prayer is not getting things from God. That is a most initial stage. Prayer is getting into perfect communion with God. I tell him what I know he knows <laughs> in order that I may get to know it as he does. One of the authors, I don't think I kept it in my notes, but one of the notes that I saw said, God doesn't need us to tell him what's going on. He knows what's going on. And, and I have heard people, of people who have come to the point of saying, in fact, it's, it's mentioned later in the prayer, your father knows what you need. I've heard people say, there's no use to pray. We don't need to pray. God's going to do what he's going to do. Folks, all I know is God said, no, you need to pray. And part of the reason I need to pray is so that my will and his will will line up, and then I will, I will see what he is doing in my life and think, oh, this is the best. 
Because God is being exalted. What are you seeking when you pray about an illness? Are you seeking for God to be glorified or just for the healing? I went to the hospital some years ago to visit somebody. And uh, one of the prayers that I like to pray many times in many situations, because I think it I think it taps into what God wants here, is this. I say, God, will you make yourself known here? And, and uh, um, as I will talk about in a minute, I don't know if God wants to heal everybody. And frankly, I don't have the faith to pray for that healing. I don't know if I have less faith or if I have more understanding of God, but I know God wants to make himself known. And so I can pray that with full confidence in every hospital room and and I'll say, God, make yourself known here. And when I said amen, the person said, what kind of prayer was that? They were obviously expecting something more like, God, raise this person up from the dead. You know? And I said, well, you know, I don't know whether God wants to heal you, but I know for a fact God wants to make himself known through your life right here. I said, like, you know, some people in the hospital complain a lot they don't really live with joy like James chapter 1 says that we should be counting it all joy. And, and, and of course I said that because I knew that was true of that person. And they looked up and said, I'm not very good at that. I said, yeah, that's what God wants to do. And you know what? Some years later, in visiting with the same person, God has begun to do that in them. And I'm telling you, that's a miracle. But that's what God is concerned about. When you go to the doctor, what is your greatest concern? Well, I want to be healed. Do you want God's glory to be seen? Well, that too. I'm, I'm confessing my own sin here. I, I want to be healed when I go to the doctor. Okay? What is it you desire when you pray for a promotion at work? For a raise? For a new job? Is your prayer for a husband or wife only about your joy? When you ask God to open the door to a certain college or a school, do you care about his kingdom or just your own? When we pray, we need to say, God wants to work in the world. He wants to work in me and through me. And so, yes, I have this need, but God, you need to be seen. If we pull, if we pull some of these questions together that I've already been asking, let, let me just put a summary here. How can we remember that God is our audience? How can we avoid just... How can we avoid just saying words over and over? How can we maintain an awareness of our Father? How can we pray for His will and His kingdom? The answer is by praying His word. This book contains God's will. This is the prayer book. It's fine to pray and say, Okay, God, according to your will... But it's even better to know God's will and pray it. 
Let's look at a passage and see what we could learn about prayer. From 1 Timothy chapter 2, and if you don't know, the book of 1 Timothy is about how pastors ought to run churches. Written to a young pastor named Timothy by the Apostle Paul. And after some introductory things in chapter 1, he says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Those are four different words that all touch on shades of prayer, if you will, okay? So he says, I want prayer to be made in the church for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, just from this phrase, what are some specific things we could pray? Number one, God wants us to pray for all men. You do not need to ask the question, should I pray for him? In fact, if you feel called to pray and you are rejecting that about some person, you've got something to work on. God wants us to pray for all men. He says that. Number two, he wants us to pray for people in authority, for the king and so on, and there's other scripture about this as well. He wants us to pray for people in authority. God wants all men to be saved. We should pray for salvation. We should have no doubt in praying for any person's salvation. Okay, God wants that. Now, I understand there's a difference between the desire of God and the active work of God, and, and, and I don't know how those two things come together, but I know that he wants me to pray for all people to be saved. God wants us to be holy, peaceful, and believing when we pray. I want men to, men to lift up holy hands. The emphasis on that verse is not lifting up your hands. It's okay to lift them up. But the, the emphasis is on holy I want you to, you know, it's, I think what he's saying, <clears throat> I think their posture was like this in prayer, and I think what he was saying is, I want men to lift up holy hands, not just I want men to lift up their hands. Now, I've just given you this as an example to say, this is the prayer book. You want to know how to pray for somebody? Read through there and look for those things and say, oh, there's something I can pray, and there's something I can pray, and there's something I can pray. And you can add to your prayer vocabulary. Don't, don't listen to some eloquent person talk and think, I need to pray like that. Read God's word and say, I need to pray like that. Now, as I was talking earlier about illness, let me ask this question. Do we know if it's God's will to heal every illness? No, we do not. Is it wrong to ask for healing? No, it's not wrong to ask for healing. Do we know what God wants to do through every illness? Well, the answer is yes, because we get an example from Paul. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. The Apostle Paul got to see some things that other people did not get to see in terms of heaven. And he says, lest I should get proud about those revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. We don't know what the thorn was. We don't know if it was, if it was uh, an eyesight problem or some other physical problem, or maybe it was a person who, who pestered him and needled him and criticized him. We don't know. But God allowed him to have a problem. Let's just call it that. 
And what did he do about it? Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might not depart from me. That it might depart from me. Now, I don't believe that was three prayers, like one, two, three days in a row. I think that was three seasons of prayer. In other words, Paul kept at it. And he asked for deliverance. Is it wrong for you to ask for deliverance from, from a problem? No, it's not wrong. But what's the response after that? But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weakness, infirmity, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You want to be revolutionary? You want to point people to the Lord when your friend calls and talks about their illness? Say, are you letting God's strength be made perfect in weakness, friend? Ooh. I'm not suggesting we not be sympathetic, but that's what God wants. That is his kingdom and his will. You know, what is, you know what, what is so spectacular about that? Is that only the godly person can be joyful through difficulty. That's how God is seen. God wants every illness to result in a greater dependence on him that enables the world to see his strength displayed in our lives. You want to pray with confidence for those who are ill? Ask God to make them strong for as long as he allows them to be sick. And ask for him to heal in his time and in his way. You want to be a good prayer? Read the book. Know the book. Live the book. Pray the book. When I was studying for this sermon this week, somebody dropped in with a heavy heart. And, and by the way, if you don't know this, you're welcome to drop in anytime. No appointment needed. I should put out a sign that says, walk-ins welcome. I mean that. They had a heavy heart. They shared some burdens and blessings. They shared a need for wisdom. We talked about wisdom from God's word. And then we prayed. And you know, I, I had just been thinking about Matthew 6 and studying, trying to work this all out. And then we just stopped and prayed. And I just was re reminded how great it is to be able to just stop at any moment and say, God, we have a need. We need some wisdom. We need some this. We need some that. Will you please meet our needs for your glory? I just had a refreshing in my soul about the value and importance of prayer. I don't know exactly 
how you need to live out all of God's truth, but God does, and He stands ready to come alongside you in prayer. And that's why it's so great for me to be able to pray with you and to pray for you. I hope you will take some time this week to spiff up your prayer life. It's real easy to, to think about prayer as an obligation that you have to carry out. Oh, I need to pray more, so I gotta do it. Could I just challenge you this week to think of it as a great blessing and opportunity that God has given you? And so that if you don't do it more, you are wasting an opportunity. It's a great blessing that God stands ready to give you. Father, help us. Oh, it's so easy for us to become self-sufficient and self-centered and not to depend on you through prayer. Father, will you spiff up our prayer life? Will you show us how we can pray more? Will you show us your word so that we can pray better? Your truth, not some fancy words. Draw us to yourself. And as we pray, will you answer? Will you make yourself real to us? To encourage us to depend on you more and to lift you up more. We are so thankful that you have given us this privilege of prayer and that you do answer. And we give you glory today for all the things that you have done and through all the prayers that you have answered. And we look forward to tomorrow and this week as we walk with you more and talk with you more. I pray in Christ's name, amen.